Do you struggle with what it means to be successful in your retirement? Trust us, you're not alone. Welcome to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. Here, you'll go in-depth with Guidance Point Advisors Investment Consultants to hear stories about how retirees in Maine are navigating a successful retirement. Get insight into the inevitable challenges of aging and define what a successful retirement looks like. Welcome, everybody, to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. My name is Ben Smith. Allow me to introduce my co-host, the Bob Marley to my Tim Sample, Curtis Wister. How are you doing today, Curtis? I'm doing well, Ben. Doing well. That's a uh, that's a timely kind of intro there. I think Bob Marley was just here this weekend up in Oregon. He was? Yeah. 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 Um, you know, anytime we can get a chance to see, not the, you know, for those that are not in the state of Maine, uh, not the reggae Bob Marley, our own Bob Marley, That's right. who, who has, uh, he's a lot of Maine humor. So, That's right. um, yeah, I've, I've probably seen him probably a dozen times. He is, he's amazing. It's, it's, so, it's solid. Yeah. Well, I know uh, from our show, right, is um, obviously we have our client base and, you know, as people know, we're, we're pretty sure financial advisors and mm-hmm. we have some really awesome clients and, uh, you know, we've been sitting down with them. Of course, the investment markets haven't been the most cooperative lately, but uh, we're, we've been really uh, excited to hear how people are, are doing, especially getting back together after this pandemic, right? Yeah. And, and uh, I think there's been a lot of our clients that have, you know, they've been storing up some jokes to tell us and, <laughs> and they've gotten us roaring and laughter from their stories and jokes. That's right. So, you know, that kind of got us to wonder, you know, what if they're able to take their natural talents of humor and maybe make some money from it? Yeah. What would it take to be a comedi- uh, comedian or a humorist? These days, anyone can really grab a camera on their phone and be online. So I can see where the barriers to entry might be low and maybe lower risk. Yeah. So just looking up some statistics, according to Zipia, Z-I-P-P-I-A.com, 40% of stand-up comedians are over 40 plus years of age, which makes sense to me as one would think folks with more experience in life would have more situations to draw humor from. Sure. Also interesting to me was the unemployment rate for comedians has fallen from 40% in 2010 to 23.6% in 2019. Hmm. And the median income for stand-up comedians ranges anywhere from $55,000 a year to $69,000, depending on education. Okay. So you can make some money is yeah. the other part of this, yeah. right? So to be funny, you can you can get uh, make some money to be funny. So all in all, we know there's some of you out there that want to learn some tidbits about unleashing your inner comic. So this episode's for you. That's right. So of course, uh, no matter how many times they might laugh at our bad jokes, Ben, you and I are not the comedic experts. We are here. not comedians. No. Um, so obviously, we had to go find a guest. Um, so our guest today is a serial entrepreneur and created over a dozen companies in his lifetime. So from a small construction company to owning a submarine and a beach shack in Hawaii. So his, submarine, by the way. Yeah, like, I uh, mean, why not? Wow. Put it on the list. I love it. His lifelong uh, love of comedy led to uh, producing live comedy shows, TV series, concerts. And in uh, no time, he ended up opening up his first comedy club, Laughs Unlimited, which uh, was just the 12th full-time comedy club in the entire United States. So he uh, then built this into a chain of successful comedy clubs in Northern California. So not only is he bringing himself on our show today, he's bringing his vast experience of working with some of the most famous names in comedy, right? You got Jay Leno, Jerry Seinfeld, Bob Saget, and Dana Carvey, while also helping develop talent such as Paula Poundstone, Brian Posen, and Tim Bedore. So he also hosts a podcast uh, called Stand Up Comedy, Your Host and MC, and has written several books, including uh, Be a Stand Up Comic or Just Look Like One, a, a comedy career guide. I couldn't even get through the name without laughing. That's good. Uh, so he uh, also wrote uh, 20 questions answered about being a stand up comic, uh, 10 answers you should know and 10 answers you must know. So with that, uh, please join in welcoming Scott Edwards to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. Scott, thank you so much for coming on our show today. Wow, that was an incredible intro, Curtis. Ben, it's so great, exciting to be on your show. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm Scott Edwards. 
Yay! And the crowd goes oh, wild, man. right? It's 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 is such an incredible honor. The the audience is not only excited to hear my name, but shocked that I'm on your great show. <laughs> And and I think this is probably the first uh, audience we've ever been in front of. I, I didn't know we were doing this live today. Yeah. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> well, Scott, with all of our shows, we like to dig into our guests a little bit, hear a little bit about your background and uh, and kind of how you kind of got to your point today. Love to hear about your kind of uh, story growing up and how you found your affinity for comedy business. How did that all all develop? Well, Curtis said it all, so we're done. No, oh, I'm kidding. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, it, it really comes from being a, a serial entrepreneur. Uh, I did start my first company at 17. Uh, they've not all been a success, by the way. Speaking of a submarine, some have been huge financial losses. But, hey, loads of fun, and that's my goal mm, in life that's right. is to have fun. But he is correct. Curtis shared with the uh, your listeners that in 1980, I opened the 12th full-time comedy club in the country called Laughs Unlimited. And by the way, it is still operating today, so over 42 years later. And it's now one of the oldest standing comedy clubs. I no longer own it. I sold it in 2001 and moved on to other uh, opportunities. Uh, like most entrepreneurs, after a while, I'm ready for a new adventure. Hmm. Anyway, uh, comedy... The way it came about, I'll give you the short version. Um, I was um, 23 years old. Uh, I'd already started a couple companies. I was selling life insurance and absolutely hated my job. And I was on vacation with my then girlfriend, soon to be wife, soon to be ex-wife. Uh, and we went by the comedy store, but not the comedy store on Sunset. We went to a satellite location right by UCLA and got a chance really the first time exposed to stand-up comedy, we saw Sandra Bernhardt, Dave Coulier, several other acts. And I was just so taken by this art form because up in sleepy Sacramento, um, even though we're the capital of the state back in 1980, we were still pretty rural um, and small town. And to see this entertainment form just overwhelmed me. And I stayed the whole night. I talked to all the comics after i met with the manager and asked some questions and a quick uh backstory uh i've started a lot of companies but i never do it just you know nonchalant i research i talk to the people that do the business and i learn what works and what doesn't work from them and anybody interested in starting a company go talk to people already doing it mm -hmm. no reason to recreate the wheel right ben sure. which is essentially this whole show right is you know, we, we said, geez, well, why why go try to do this all yourself and try to figure out how to be a comic where we go talk to someone that's been in the business of this, right? Let's learn from, let's kind of skip all the innings one through three and get to the get to the good part of the game, right? Exactly. And I think that's a smart way for anyone to learn about anything, really. But anyway, so I spent the uh, six-hour drive back to Sacramento planning my uh, newfound, exciting future in comedy. Uh, came back, quit my job, went bankrupt, so I'd have no debts or payments. And then I wheeled and dealed my way into a banquet room of a restaurant with uh, the trade-off was I got to use the room for free, but they made the money on the food and the drinks. So mm -hmm. I had no overhead. I was the only employee. I would set up the club, MC the club, take the tickets, clean up the club. And I did that for uh, almost a year and a half before I was able to... Uh, open my own brick and mortar location, which is pretty quick. I, I was mm -hmm. uh, uh, all ego aside. I was pretty successful. It was a seat of the pants operation, but it went well. And if you fast forward five years, about 1985, by then I had three clubs. And as Curtis mentioned, I was, I had uh, in the late eighties, I did two TV series, NBC and ABC. I did uh, several concerts. The largest had 12,000 people. Um, I worked with, I was just so blessed, Ben, and I know you've already kind of shared this, but let me tell your listeners how exciting it was. I was working with Jay Leno, Jerry Seinfeld, Bob Saget, Dana Carvey, Raymond Romano goes on and on back when they were nobody, nobody knew them. Yeah. This was before Saturday night live or before the Seinfeld show. 
And they helped me, Bob Sagan in particular, a great loss of a friend, mm-hmm. uh, particularly helped me get my club going and taught me what needed to be done to survive and succeed in the comedy world. And I was very blessed. It was all good timing, Ben. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That is awesome. And so I want to ask a, another question here. So over your, your life and career, you know, how has, I guess, one stand-up comedy and also how have comedy clubs kind of changed or evolved over that time span? Wow, we're jumping ahead. Okay. <laughs> so here's the thing. Back in the 80s and 90s, stand-up comedy was really a new art form being shared with the public. Yes, there was comedy uh, in the 50s and 60s, but it was pretty much just in the Catskills and occasionally on the Ed Sullivan show or something. In the 60s and 70s, stand-up comedy was basically the break between strippers at clubs and between bands at jazz clubs, right? It was not a mainstream art form. And it wasn't until the late 70s that clubs like the Improv or the Comedy Store started opening. And I really caught that wave right at the beginning in 1980. As I said, I was the 12th club in the country. But what's interesting is that by 1986, it was like Starbucks. All the old discos became comedy clubs, right? They're all over the place. So we saw a lot of transition. To answer your question, in today's market, there's more comedy clubs than there were in 1980, but less than there were in 2000. In other words, it mm-hmm. kind of peaked up mm-hmm. and then it's dropped off a bit. And right now it's particularly challenging for comedy entertainers because of this wokes cancel society. Everybody's so sensitive. You know, uh, you guys may remember, um, Curtis Europe may be too young, but Ben certainly knows that there were comics that made a living out of picking on people, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, engaging the audience by making fun of all of us. Mm -hmm. You know, Don Rickles is probably the most famous. So that was really acceptable and all part of the norm. We could all laugh at ourselves. It's very cathartic and healthy to laugh at yourself and those around you as a group, right? In today's environment, everybody's so sensitive that, you know, if you pointed out somebody's ugly Kmart sweater, every somebody, you know, that person probably knows, yeah, I'm in an ugly Kmart sweater and they don't mm-hmm. care. But other people go, oh, he's picking on him, you know, mm-hmm. and it ruins that uh, opportunity to see the funnier side of life. It's got it's got from from that end, too. Right. Is uh, obviously where I think maybe comedy and obviously just the Internet as well. Right. Is here's people experiencing comedy where they would it's a destination right? almost like, uh, you know, going to a theater and, and, and seeing a play and kind of experiencing that in person. It just I would imagine as well that some of this is that people are experiencing comedy in different ways and they might even be as you said, with not only just the sensitivity of, of the culture today, but also from a, you know, a format perspective of here's the, here's the bit and here's the, the TikTok or the Instagram or Facebook thing that's going on. And it's just versus the, well, let's go to, I have tickets to go see, as we said, like Bob Marley from the state of Maine or going to see, um, you know, Dave Coulier or, you know, people like that, like, here's the event and it's a big thing and I'm, I got tickets, I'm going to go and it's an evening and I'm kind of, it's, it's an event thing versus a kind of more instant gratification, right? Would that, mm. would you kind of agree with how that's kind of evolved a little bit more? So back in the day, it was destination entertainment, which is exactly what you're saying is correct. Yeah. And back in those days, if you wanted to see stand-up comedy, you saw a really vanilla version on TV because you couldn't say what you wanted to say, but there was stand-up comedy on TV. So you'd have to go to a comedy club to hear the real raw entertainment. Now, I've never been a a big fan of what's called blue comedy, the really dirty stuff, but I booked comics that were really dirty, but it wasn't dirty like dropping a lot of F-bombs that have no sense of humor. There was smart comedic humor. A lot of people don't know that Bob Saget, who played Danny Tanner on Full House on stage was one of the dirtiest comics ever, but it wasn't just, he didn't swear. He just talked about sex and relationships in a real honest way, which made it kind of blue, but it was always very funny, very insightful. And you couldn't see that on TV. You had to see it in a club. So now fast forward to 2020 
And what's happened is you can still get that. There's nothing like that real live interaction with a comic and with an audience in a small room sharing an experience. I still recommend to all your listeners go out and see a comedy show live. There's, there's nothing like it. There's a, an adrenaline, uh, a comedy engagement that is being shared that is amazing. Uh, and there's still comedy on TV, but it's a lot looser than it was in the eighties and nineties. And so you can hear somewhat more of a reality on TV, especially on the uh, cable channels. But to your point, there's a false comedy on social media where people that have not worked at the trade don't spend any time writing, don't care if they're engaging or sharing an experience with people because it's totally anonymous. And even if they're using their name, they don't know who's listening. There's no reaction. So what they do is they go out and they spill all this filth and stupidity and they think they're comics. Now, I'm sorry, I'm on a little bit of a soapbox, but Mm -hmm. it's so hurtful that people have taken a real art form of stand-up comedy and kind of bastardized it because they can get away with whatever they want on social media. The only caveat to that, Ben and Curtis, is that stand-up comedy is the last bastion of free speech. So despite the woke cancel culture society, you're still going to find people breaking down barriers, getting through the walls, through their comedy, because it is, uh, as I said, free speech. Gotcha. So Scott, love to just. Uh, we're not having more. much fun yet. Come on, people. <laughs> no, no, we're gonna get. We're gonna get there. We'll get there. Right? Well, we gotta, we gotta this is good information. Yes, good information. Yeah. But but we want to have some fun. Scott, I want to ask one uh, more bio uh, bio question here for you. Any connections to the state of Maine at all? No. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, now you so got two. You got two now, though. Hey, so we're you know, yeah. I I did some research uh, in preparation for this. Uh, podcast. So when it, later on, I have some good information to share for all the fine residents of Maine about comedy in your state. But is me personally, even through the thousands of comics that I had in my clubs and I had on my podcast and TV shows, I have not yet to have somebody from Maine. So we need Bob Marley or, yeah. or Curtis to get some material right. and uh, share it with the world. All right. Sign me up. Sign me up. Um, so I, I obviously the, the goal of, or the kind of topic of our show today, right, is how can we unleash our inner comic in retirement? So in a, a previous episode, we had, uh, we had an expert on side hustles come on and, right, it feels like getting paid to make people laugh might be a, the perfect retirement side hustle or the only hustle in retirement at that point. Um, so as a comedy consultant, um, what advice would you give to someone that wants to start in the world of stage comedy. Like day one, I say, I'm ready. I want to do it. Well, how do you help them? Buy my books. All right. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Sorry. That was a little capitalistic and they're available on Amazon. Okay. So here's the short answer is that it, it does take some time to make money in stand up comedy, but it is a fun side hustle, but I wouldn't necessarily recommend that people do it for the money, Mm. do it for the expression of who you are, that adrenaline filled moment of, of fear and confidence. You get on stage when you're in front of strangers, we're not talking about being the class clown or the funniest guy at a party, right? That's one thing. When you get up in front of people that paid to be entertained, and they're strangers there. It takes some work. You know, people think, Oh, I'm a funny guy. I'll go up and do some dad jokes. And mm-hmm. the reality is you want to, uh, first off, talk about yourself. Uh, self deprecation is a great way to inter- introduce yourself to an audience and kind of engage with them and get them. Okay. It's it, he's picking on himself. It's okay. Now, if he says something that might pick on somebody else, you know, we're all in this together, right? It's a shared experience. So I recommend to all your listeners to get up on stage somewhere, somehow. And even if you never do it again, give it one or two tries. Keep in mind that an amateur, it's a big deal to do three minutes of material. Wow. 
Okay. That's going to feel like an eternity on stage. Yeah. Now, it is true, Curtis or Ben, that if you want to go pro and make some money, you do have to build that three minutes up to about 15, 20 minutes of material. Mm. Now, what that means for those that are taking notes is that you write about an hour's worth of material. And out of that hour, there's probably a decent 15, 20 minutes. It's that difficult to find, fill the time and find a way to engage with an audience. It, It doesn't sound like a lot of time, three minutes or 15 minutes. But trust me, when you're in front of a bunch of strangers that are drinking alcohol and and out for a good time, they have paid to be entertained. So there's an expectation by the audience that there's going to be something worth hearing. Mm. So there is a little bit of responsibility on that open micer or that performer to reach that goal. You know, and you're going to fail. Everybody, Bob Saget, David Mm -hmm. Carvey, uh, they've all bombed at one time or another. That's part of the process. That's part of the learning. Uh, There's jokes that aren't going to go over. But that's that's when you get right back on the horse and write some more. Right. Sure. Yeah. Was was that did that kind of answer your question? No, that that was perfect. And you teed up my next question. So so I want to focus on that audience piece of it. So. I've written the material, right? I'm telling myself I'm ready. I want to do it. How do I do it? How do I go about getting booked or how do I get listed as a comedian that's available to be booked or how do I get on a stage? The the reading glasses are on. Don't be shocked, everybody. (laughs) Don't call the doctors or the therapist. It's okay. So here's the good news about Maine. You guys have so many great opportunities to get out and do a open mic set, first advice, write some material, practice it in a mirror or share it with some family and friends and see if you can get them to laugh. That's a good start. Mm-hmm. But when you're going to go up in front of strangers, have three to five minutes of stuff to talk about, and you're not going to improv with the audience at this point. That's a learned yeah. thing down the road. You just want to go up, do your material, almost like Stephen Wright. Remember, he'd go up, he'd do a joke, mm-hmm. do a joke, and then leave. You know, it's, you're going to go up, you're going to do your material. By the way, it's always best to memorize it. I have had a couple comics, uh, great story. Uh, Gary Shandling uh, came to the club. He was working my club and uh, he, he, it's a small audience, maybe 40 people on a Wednesday night. And he goes, Hey, ladies and gentlemen, he, he did like 20 minutes, kind of proved he was funny. He goes, I'm going to be on the tonight show next week. I need to practice, try out some materials that okay. And the audience is like, yeah, because it's like a peek behind the curtain, right? Sure. So he brings out these three-by-five cards and starts reading off material. And if the audience laughed, he'd go, oh, yeah, that's good, and he'd put it in his pocket. And then if they didn't laugh or they booed, well, that's out, (laughs) right? And what was really great was it was kind of magical for the audience at that particular show. But what was extra special was the next week, we saw him on the Tonight Show doing those jokes, yeah. and every those forty people can say I was a part of that creation. Yeah, it, it was it was didn't happen very often, but that was uh, a magical moment at my club, and a good reminder to people that want to get into comedy. It's okay to write this stuff down and have it prepared, but if you're gonna, and even if you're an open micer, you know, have notes on the stool next to you as. Uh, have key words that to make sure you you don't forget because you're going to get stage fright mm-hmm. when you get up there, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody does, even the pros. So having a you know an eight by ten sheet with just key words for the joke, kind of in order to keep you on track. You're not looking at it, right. but it's there to guide you. So that's my advice. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was talking about Maine. Yeah. So here's a couple things that I found out. Uh, you have some great opportunities i love the name of this club have you heard of running with scissors improv no i have not it's right there in maine running with scissors improv now improv's a little bit different than stand-up comedy it's kind of scripted slash unscripted uh group entertainment but just like stand-up comedy it'll give you a taste of, of show business you have the um curry's comedy club uh the comedy connection and the empire comedy club up in uh Bar Harbor, you have uh, Improv Acadia. Yep. Yeah. So that's a good place. But I was most excited to find out that all over Maine, 
there's a company called the Maine Comedy Clubs, and they do uh, one night uh, shows at different nights. Like Wednesday, it's in uh, Portland, and Thursday, it's in Bangor, Maine, mm-hmm. and then it goes to Waterville and uh, Wyndham, and you know, there's different rooms all around mm-hmm. the state, and those would be a great place for your listeners to get started because they're one night comedy shows. And if you approach the manager or get a hold of the main comedy club, that's what it's called, mm-hmm. uh, and say, Hey, I want to, uh, I live in, um, Bangor, Maine, and I want to, you know, do a little open mic stuff. They'll tell you the best night and they'll set you up for a set. Yeah. But be Very prepared. Cool. <laughs> Don't just show up and think, oh, I'm a funny guy. I'll wing it. It won't work. All right. Okay. Did that <laughs> well, answer your question? That was that's, great. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And, and Scott, I want to ask about, uh, so now we kind of know, all right, well, we can kind of work on a set. We kind of figure out how to how to kind of get booked and get on a place. But let's talk about types of comedy, right? Because I know that there's different types of comedy out there. And, you know, I I can kind of think about, hey, how do I identify what area of comedy that I'm best at? So I guess that's that's a question of because I know there's different types of comedy out there. And how would someone just kind of figure out where their strengths and where the weaknesses were there? Let me take a guess. Ben, you're a host. That was a really well-stated question. You, you've you. done this before. We've done this, uh, I think, now 72 <laughs> or three times. Yeah, so we're, we're getting better. Yes. Good, good, good. So that's a great question. So there's really all kinds of stand-up comedy. And, and keep in mind, that includes the variety arts. There's comedy magic, comedy ventriloquism, comedy juggling, right? There's a, there's a myriad of ways of doing it. In pure stand-up, what we call monologue presentation, right? Uh, remember Johnny Carson would get up and do a five minute monologue before the show. Uh, a monologue presentation is just you, the mic and the audience, no props, right? Although prop comedy is a great way to get into stand up, but in, that's a whole nother uh, department. So for straight stand up monologue comedy, you want to do what feels natural to you. So, for example, Stephen Wright liked that kind of slow, very controlled, you know, hey, you know, this is what happened, and take a pause because he knew there was a laugh break. He would do a joke, take a pause, do a joke. There was no stringing thoughts together. Most comics, and what I recommend is that you want to string your material together and you take the audience on a journey That's why I said you start off talking about yourself because, one, it's something you know about and you can make fun of that everybody can share in on, right? Mm -hmm. You know, wow, I'm so tall, but, hey, I get get the best view during a parade, right? Whatever it is, it's some little nuance and that you make fun of that. Then you could string that into, you know, well, I'm really tall, but, hey, you know, then I had to go on an airplane and, boy, it's not easy being tall in a plane, because there's no leg room. And then you could talk about airplanes. Well, when you're flying, right, it's a string of thought. Yeah. You're taking the audience on a path, on a story. And then um, I want to share with your listeners that if you sit down and write three to five minutes of material, remember that the last bit is what you think is the funniest. And the opening is what you think is the second funniest. Mm. And everything in between is where you play with stuff. So a, a professional comedy show starts off with a laugh and then a professional can keep a plateau of comedy for 10, 20, 30, 60 minutes. But whoever it is, no matter how long it is, three minutes, 30 minutes or three hours, you have to end on a higher note. You have to like a crescendo in music. You got to take them one more level up. So your funniest stuff is what's last. I did a concert with Jay Leno. We had a sold out 2,200 people. I uh, did it twice with him, actually. But uh, the show I'm thinking of, he he goes out and he does about 15 minutes and just material and jokes and captures the audience. They already know who Jay Leno is. He was already famous at that point. Mm-hmm. But, the, he, you know, he does some material. Then he just talked to the audience for about 40 minutes And everything was funny because he could take whoever he was talking with, you know, oh, you're in a suit. You must be a CPA. Everybody laughs. And he goes, yeah, I am a CPA. Everybody laughs, right? Well, as a CPA, you must be good with numbers. You know, he he could extrapolate the conversation and keep it funny. 
But then he'd go back to material for the last 15, 20 minutes and just rip the audience, you know, some huge, huge laughs, right? Well, Jay's an expert stand-up comic, and he did a 90-minute show. Very, very rare and difficult for people to do that much time. But that was the secret to the length. It wasn't necessarily 90 minutes of material. He could just interact with the audience and keep them laughing for a lot of it. And then there was maybe an hour or 40 minutes of material on each end. Does that make sense? So here's the next person. So that's straight monology. So we talked about Stephen Wright, slow and deliberate. Jay Leno, just a conversation. Then you have Robin Williams. He worked for me twice. Robin Williams had a machine gun style effect of comedy where he just threw out so much crap that he knew that 30% of it would click with somebody in the audience and get them laughing and keep them laughing, right? And he had so much experience and, you know, he was an actor, he was a professional Mm -hmm. improv person, but when it came to stand-up comedy, he had this amazing Rolodex in his head. So if he heard a bakery, he automatically had, you know, four or five bread jokes or yeast jokes or, you know, rising jokes, you know, rising dough. I mean, that's how his mind worked. So there's three extreme examples of different kinds of comedy that are all stand-up comedy, but they're all a totally different presentation model. And what's important to your listeners, if they'd like to give it a try, is the simplest and easiest is be yourself. Go up. If you're like kind of a normal energy, calm guy, go up and share your material in a normal, calm, natural way. If you're kind of a hyper, you know, comical guy, you can see I'm a little animated myself. You know, you use that on stage. You know, when I emceed, I emceed my shows for 21 years. I had more stage time than any comic. And I was always riffing with the audience, but I was always moving and mm-hmm. interacting and asking questions because I never wrote material. <laughs> I'm not a stand-up comic. Let's make that clear to your audience. I'm a producer. Mm-hmm. I produce shows. And as a comedy club owner, and Ben, we should have thrown this in, you're not just producing a show. You're running a bar. You're running a restaurant. Sure. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. It all goes in together. So owning a comedy club is different than being a stand-up comic. However, I was able to marry the two, be an MC, interact and make audiences laugh, but I never wrote a joke. You know, mm-hmm. I just I just have that kind of type A crazy personality and I'm fine with people laughing at me. You know, people would point out that I'm a little on the heavy side or I always wore Hawaiian shirts and I would say, "Yeah, yeah, I'm uh this is uh this belly is due to success." And the shirt is, I don't believe in hiding it. I believe in decorating it. <laughs> I love that. So, love it. <laughs> you know, just simple things like that that makes the audience laugh at you, but with you, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so did that kind of answer the question? There's there's a lot of different ways to present material. You, you want to be true to yourself. It's just like when you're writing comedy, you want to write about what you know. So if you um, worked for your father in a construction job, you don't want to do jokes about being in the Navy, right? You want to do jokes about being on a construction site. Yeah. So that, that's my, hopefully my simple response to that. Not so So, simple. Good. No, well, Scott, I think that's perfect. Cause again, I I think what we're trying not to say is that, Hey, I'm funny and I want to get up on stage and this is something I want to do and to kind of earn laughs. But I want to do it without kind of just parroting whatever Jerry Seinfeld says uh, during his set, right? That you know, yeah, what, we what never. Makes, that's yeah, a good makes, point. We never steal material. Robin Williams had such a rolodex that he was often accused of borrowing somebody else's material, and he always apologized and paid him because mm-hmm. he couldn't yeah. stop his mind from going to somewhere something he heard. It didn't happen a lot, but the point is is that you want to be true to yourself and you want to be original. And that, now, by the way, Ben, that's a great point. Every comic has done jokes about being married or going on an airplane or being in traffic, right? That doesn't mean you can't do jokes on that. You just don't want word by word to imitate somebody. 
Right. Yeah. So, and I, I think that that's the kind of the key piece, which I, I know you're, you're bringing up there. And also, I, I know you brought up Jade Leno and um, Jade Leno actually is going to be in our area in, in central Maine. He's actually going to be up here whoop. at the Collins center of the arts. Uh, oh, go October. see him. He's, yeah. he's amazing. So I was just going to pull that plug is October 22nd. If you want to go check that out and uh, maybe take a little notes as you're, as you're kind of right. referencing some Jay Leno comedy, that might be uh, might be a good place to check out. And then yeah. go backstage and say, you were just hanging with Scott Edwards uh, and he'll know exactly who I am. We, we did right. a lot of stuff together. That's awesome. Nice. That's awesome. So Scott, I, I want to kind of keep going into our show here and I'm going to go back to the hypothetical of me being a comic or trying to be a comic. All right. So I've got my materials or what I think my materials straightened out. I know where I'm going. I got that stage that I'm going on, but I just am terrified that I'm going to say my best joke or what I think is my best joke and nobody's going to laugh. So I know you talked about it earlier that, you know, everyone fails. There's all, there's always an element of failure. Is it like common? Do, do we always just bomb the first time we do it? Is that normal? And, and if it is, how do we kind of minimize that? Right. How do I make sure I don't get booed off the stage? Well, first off, people are a little nicer than that. It's very, very <laughs> rare to get booed off the stage. Okay. <laughs> but even Jay Leno with 90 minutes of material is going to say something that doesn't get the response that he said two minutes later got, right? Sure. There's mm-hmm. there's waves of laughter. So not everything hits at 100%, and it shouldn't because there's nothing in life that's that solid. Yeah. So expect that there's going to be some crickets Sometimes when you say something you think is funny and it's not, but that's not an indication that you're doing a bad thing. It's an indication you need to rewrite it or Mm -hmm. switch the words around or, or drop the topic. If it's not a topic you can share that, you know, what's interesting guys, and I, I I don't want to get too deep here, but comedy is a, is a real reflection of life Mm -hmm. through your eyes, right? So there has to be a certain truth, right? It's kind of like how we always say that there's always a little truth in every lie. If something's going to work and and engage with an audience, there's got to be a sense. The audience will not buy it if you're lying to them. This is my point. You have to be sharing something that is a shared experience. So I don't know if I have a good example, but... You know, oh, I was driving in traffic. Well, boom, everybody in the audience has been stuck in traffic. And then you share something that kind of happened that you saw the funny in, Mm -hmm. right? The really good comics are the ones that see the world the way we see it, but they're able to pick out the funny. Mm -hmm. Is that is that too Mm -hmm. vague? No. It, It really is a gift. I did want to... Curtis, you were saying, what if you got on stage? Yeah. I'm going to put the magic specs on again. All right. I wrote some material just for the people in Maine. Okay. Let's go. Let's hear it. Right. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, uh, joke number one is your relationship to Canada, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right? You're right next door. We share a border. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so uh, I got to read my own writing. Oh, uh, we have a real problem being next to uh, Canada and, and what it's doing to employment. All those snowbacks coming across the border and taking our jobs. Mm-hmm. See, yeah, in in yeah. in California, it's it's the old joke is the wetbacks. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah. I'm not saying this is going to go over in a woke society, <laughs> <laughs> but it's just it's a play on words. All right, let's yeah. see if we can get a better one. Oh, you guys are in a really rural area, mm-hmm. so you know. Hey, hey, everybody! I, I saw a tractor. Uh, just, let me do that again. Hey, everybody! I saw a tractor out in the parking lot. Who's here from Dry Mills? Mm-hmm. All right. Okay, so if you're in Portland, Dry Mills is really out there. Yes, that's right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, Curtis, does that answer your question? Going over like a lead balloon? Yeah. <laughs> but you know what you do? You just keep you going. Keep I going. That's more. right. Why? Oh, well, last one, Ben. Yeah. All right. So you you guys have a lot of French heritage, yeah, right? So yeah. uh, oh, it's always interesting uh, being uh, French or interacting with the French. Why do the French like snails? Because they don't like fast food. But I'm bummed. It's a good one. <laughs> So there you go, Curtis. If you want to irritate and piss off all your audience, you got three Love jokes. It. Love it. Got it. <laughs> Love it. But but Scott, I think what you were were saying here is I think that's some of the fun, right? Is this yeah. hey, 
I, you know, there's going to be things that I say that people are not going to find funny, but I need the, the kind of the, the kind of the stress of that, right. That feedback where I'm now stressed on stage of, can I then recover? Can I then put myself back in a situation to get the audience back on track? And can I get them laughing? And right. Isn't that kind of the, the game, right? Isn't that kind of the game of being the comedian is I'm trying to con- create consistency and laughter and get that feedback. But when it does go off the rails, let's see how I can get this back on track and get them uh, kind of tracking with me. Right. And that's one of the things that I think is a value to us as humans is if, and that's why I encourage people to go on stage at least once or twice, once or twice, because you want that opportunity to put yourself out there. Mm-hmm. You want to be able to take, you know, thicken your own skin and take some rejection and overcome it. Right. It's good for your psyche, but I will tell you that there were comics many of them, that once they knew they had an act, they knew they had a way to bring the audience back, their thrill every time on stage was to take that audience and push and push and push the envelope. And at some point, they lost the audience or they got Mm -hmm. that boo. Mm -hmm. And then what they got a thrill and a challenge out of is they could come right back with a material and win the audience back. That's right. So exactly to what you're saying, Ben, is that some professional comics found the thrill of being a comic was taking somebody as far as you could take them and then bringing them back, mm-hmm. right? There, there, There's a sense of success, of confidence that you get from that. Now, I'll be honest. Those guys are a little crazy, and they were very professional and had the backup material. You know, you don't want to take the audience down a bad path and then not have anything to bring them back. Sure, Say, right. thank you, good night. <laughs> you know, they'll, they'll be waiting out front with tar and feathers, right? <laughs> right. But you um, to, to really be succinctly answer your question is you have to be aware that not everything's going to go over 100% but you want something to back it up and you want to have that self-realization and confidence that you can get the audience back. Mm-hmm. And and that's really um, important in any art form, but especially stand-up comedy. A, a great analogy would be a musician has got five songs he's going to play in a concert. He knows that the third song is not, you know, not as strong with the public as everything else. So he'll play that third song and the audience might plot, you know, politely applaud because we're all trained since birth to respect music, good or bad. <laughs> but then he knows he can come back with his, yeah. you know, album killing top hit and the audience is going, Whoa! so just like comedy in music, you hit them hard and then you give them some entertainment and then you have that crescendo mm-hmm. and you, you, you just make it, you know, super appealing. And that's when you get the encores and that the really good stars, when they get an encore, have something that even is better. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Um, I, I want to keep going here with a, uh, along the same lines of, I, I guess it's a little different. So I want to take kind of the audience out of it or say losing the audience. Right. So pretend I have the material that the audience likes, but like people still make mistakes, I guess, on stage. So what is, I guess, the number one mistake that you see beginners make kind of when learning to be a comic? I think that the number one mistake is thinking that these people on social media or unfunny comics are doing the right thing when they're dropping F-bombs and think it's funny. So let me give you an, uh, mm. an exa- example of that. People do respond to F-bombs and and dirty words because we're raised since childhood that those are incorrect in open society and so we giggle or titter or or you know when we hear something sure the problem is there's some people that think they're funny and all they're going you know i i saw my freaking girlfriend and she wanted some freaking bread so i went to the freaking store then i got her some freaking bread Well, the audience is Mm. going to react to that because it's shocking, it's unnecessary, and it's just swearing. But is it humor? Is it funny, right? To me, it's not. He's just doing a stream of filth out of his mouth, and the audience, they're not going to sit there politely with their hands in their lap. They're going to react to the the filthy mouth. But that person thinks that reaction is supportive and happy. And it's not, it's, it's shock value. 
you so the big mistake that a lot of amateurs make is that they'll say something funny they'll have a thought mm -hmm. or they've written something but i want to make sure the audience reacts so i'm going to drop f-bomb into the middle of it for no reason yeah mm -hmm. you know and i see that all the time and it's like you don't need it you know the joke may not be you know a jay leno quality or bob saget quality joke but, you know, you had a premise, you had an idea, you just need to work on it. Mm -hmm. Think of a, a, a joke as a lump of coal. It has to be done over and over and over again and compressed and changed and switched the words around. And you eventually you compress that coal into a diamond. Yeah. Then what do you do? You save it, you reuse it every show, and you go start with another lump of coal. So that's how comics start with three minutes on stage and end up with an hour on stage. They're constantly building. Let me share one more thing, Ben, if you don't mind, and Curtis. Yeah. yeah. One of the magic aspects of stand-up comedy that makes it really good for actors, you know, a lot of comics become actors. Sure. Is that when Jay Leno or Saget or Carvey or, or uh, even Ellen DeGeneres, who worked for me, uh, Paula Poundstone, as we mentioned, Brian Posehn, who was on The Big Bang Theory, when you're sharing your comedy on stage, the acting comes in that with, to that audience, it's like you just thought it up. Like, right? Like, right. oh, yeah. you know what? I was driving here and I saw this homeless guy on the road and blah, blah, blah. And there's a joke. The people think, that actually happened right. because you're acting like it's fresh new stuff. But what the audience doesn't realize, and it doesn't really matter, is that comic probably told that same joke over the last two years a thousand times. Sure. And each time he changed a word around or changed something around and got it so it was just perfect. Mm -hmm. right? Does that kind of make sense? No, I do. Mm -hmm. that, that makes great sense. And I appreciate you explaining it that way. Yeah, we um, need a recording of this. This is this could be like <laughs> a good stuff. A, uh, this could be a lesson, uh, audio lesson yeah. on how to be a comic. Do like a master class or something with this. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, I want to go back to, because you, you surprised us um, back there a few minutes ago with your, your jokes about Maine. So, and it's tied right into this question I want to ask you next. So, Obviously, uh, Ben and I are in, in Maine here in New England. Um, so beautiful I, area, by the way. <laughs> I want to ask you, I guess, how, how did you write those jokes, right? So here I am, say I'm going to go on a stage in Maine and I want to connect with an audience here. What is your process or what are some steps we can take to really make sure we are kind of speaking or, or joking to that audience? Well, Curtis, it just proves that what I said before didn't connect with you at all <laughs> so the point of the material i wrote was i went to a map of maine mm -hmm. and i saw what was around it so sure. what i was trying to share as an example is if i was a resident of maine you have a wealth of material because you have all the beautiful forest you have the mm -hmm. ocean you have the lakes you got canada you got Vermont near you. I mean, there's so many things that you can pick on that everybody, you know, comedy and tragedy work side by side. Yeah. You, you, to, to make comedy really work, there has to be a little bit of the tragedy. So it could be absolutely amazing to be next door to Canada. But if you went up and said, Hey, don't we love those Canadians? You're going to get a response, sure. but it's not particularly funny. You have to say, well, we love those Canadians, but I wish they'd, you know, move their semi trucks. They're blocking my driveway. You know, mm -hmm. something yeah. that, uh, I, I just made that up. That uh, as you can tell, <laughs> it didn't work. <laughs> but to answer your question, whether you're in Bangor, Maine or Portland or, or some of the other towns, Bar Harbor, there's something about your community, what you do, your life, you know, whatever your past is. Uh, oh, one of the best topics that everybody can relate to family. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So you mm -hmm. talk about stuff that's kind of real, but you find the funny in it. Mm -hmm. Oh, geez. I was, you know, at Thanksgiving with my family and, you know, I'm 42 years old and I'm still at the kids table. Yeah. You know, we're all waiting for Uncle Mel to die. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I yeah. can't get to the main table. Yeah. So that's something, you know, anybody that wants to try stand up comedy, find the funny in your life and what's around you. And in Maine, you have so much from big towns to little towns like dry mills, you mm -hmm. have the French connection, you got Canada. I already mentioned, you got all these yeah. things that if you make fun of or you write material about, your audience 
will be able to engage with you. Mm -hmm. Now, I said that really early on, Curtis, but I'm going to repeat it. The value and the quality of comedy comes from engaging with an audience and having a shared experience, Mm -hmm. right? Funny or unfunny. If you don't engage with the audience, it's, it's not going to work. It's, it's like, uh, uh, kind of, uh, we use this example before. If, if I've got some experience as a CPA and I go up and I'm doing CPA jokes, but my audience is from the construction industry, mm-hmm. uh, they're going to go over like a lead balloon, right? Right. It, it, you have to talk and engage with the audience on a level that they can relate to. So I'm Scott, repeating from, myself now, guys. I'm repeating no, no, no. myself. I, well, these are lessons we got to highlight here. So I appreciate that, Scott. So I want to ask about, obviously, from kind of a wide range of comedians that you've seen come through your clubs that you've been able to work with. And, and again, I know you've mentioned a lot of the greats that have come through. Love to hear just a, maybe a couple of lessons that you've kind of you personally have, have experienced by observing and kind of seeing in real time these comedians, the Bob Sagas, the Seinfelds, the Carveys, you know, those sorts of names. What sort of things did you learn from them that you feel like um, uh, I think is maybe maybe a little more uh, standardized or maybe normalized in today's comedian? Well, I think, Ben, that's another good question. I don't know where he gets this talent. The <laughs> the The thing that I think audiences need to realize is – that I've name dropped some famous comics that have worked for me. Uh, I mm-hmm. was very blessed to work with Harry Anderson from Night Court, Tommy Chong from Cheech and Chong, Graham Chapman from Monty Python. It goes on and on. Um, soupy sales for those that are over 50, uh, actually threw a pie in my face. I mean, that means something if you're over 50. It doesn't mean anything if you're under 50. But the relationship to these celebrities is that the audience has an expectation because they know the name. But the secret is that there's thousands of other really funny people that no one's ever heard of. You know, Bob Worley, Jeff Jenna, Tim Bedore, uh, it goes on and on, Mark Pitta. There's uh, Will Durst. There's all these comics that made a great career out of comedy, had a decent living, really enjoyed their lives, had a good, successful career. Just nobody's ever heard of them. Mm-hmm. Right. They, they just didn't get what I call the golden ticket and end up uh, being stars. One of the best comedy teams ever out of Florida was a team called Mac and Jamie. And they did several tonight shows. They have their own TV show called Comedy Break. And yet, if I went up to anybody and said, Hey, uh, did you hear the latest joke from Mac and Jamie? Everybody go, who? Yeah. Right. I mean, in this day and age, Curtis to, to an age thing, a lot of people don't remember Laurel and Hardy. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. it's mm-hmm. it's just sad. It's it's a generational thing, right? And so when you go out and see somebody or you're thinking about planning a night out of entertainment, don't worry if you don't recognize the name. Like There's that. a lot of funny people that aren't famous that have something to share. Now, the other thing, and I again, I'm repeating myself, Ben, but it's kind of the same question, same answer. The, the trick to entertaining an audience is talking about stuff that everybody in the room can relate to. So if we're keeping track audience, that's the third time I've said that. (laughs) It is so important that whether you're talking about your own life or your community or your state or the state of the government, right? These are all Mm -hmm. potential topics. It has to be something that your audience is going to agree or disagree with it is, but they have to be able to relate to, mm-hmm. right? Uh, right? Paula Poundstone is a very esoteric comedian. She doesn't go up and just talk about uh, being in traffic or going to the airport. She talks about her weird view of life. Uh, Emo Phillips is the same way. These are people that would talk about going shopping, but because they have kind of a twisted mind, it's totally different from our experiences, but since we've all been shopping, now you're seeing shopping in this unique, twisted way. Does mm-hmm. that, that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And that makes yeah. it funny. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So even though they're from, you know, outer space and, and are really strange, uh, talking about Emo Phillips, Paula Poundstone, people that are kind of uh, uh, bring kind of a twist to their comedy. Uh, Judy Tenuta, who just passed away, was the same way. They're still really funny 
And they're still talking about stuff that we can all relate to shopping, traffic, all this stuff, but they do it from this kind of weird prism that changes and makes things uh, strange. Uh, it's, it's fascinating, but Ben, it goes back to your earlier question. There's so many different types of comedy, Yeah, you know, uh, it, there's no right or wrong. Yeah. Mm. It's just how you approach it. Yeah. And, and I think that's kind of the, the fun part about this as a topic yeah. today is just kind of like, again, how do how do we kind of turn ourselves into it versus like, no, I have to go replicate a model and try to fit into a box is is trying to find your own personality, highlighting that personality. And is it you're saying like finding that uh, that commonality that everybody could then relate to and then laugh at or to or with. Right. Is I, I, so I, I love that from a from a formulaic, but again, it, you at the center of it, not not trying to just do what everybody else is doing. Yeah. Right. So let's bring it. Let's put a pin in it on this retirement show. Mm-hmm. So your audience is over 50, maybe over 60. Mm-hmm. They're they're thinking about retirement and I want to stretch myself and go do an open mic or try to write a couple minutes of material. What are you going to write about? You're going to write about being retired. Mm-hmm. You're going to mm-hmm. write about what your past career was, mm-hmm. how you transitioned to retirement, how weird it is to be retired. You know, I'm semi-retired myself. I went, I sold my business last year. I went from getting up, getting dressed and being at work, looking sharp every day to I get up and I go, ah, what am I going to do today? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and there's a lot of humor in that, right? And so your audience, if they want to play with this art form and, and expand their own real reality and try doing an open mic, write about what you know, write about what it's like being retired or going transitioning to retirement. If you used to be a lawyer, oh, a lot of jokes there. Mm-hmm, if sure. you used to be, you know, uh, you ran a grocery store, you have experiences that other people don't have that you're going to be able to share that they can relate to. I I just gave myself an idea. So let's say you ran a grocery store for 30, 40 years, and now you're retired. You have stories Mm -hmm. about running a grocery store, people knocking over a stack of food or, you know, uh, a customer coming in uh, dressed up in a Halloween costume, who knows, something weird that these people haven't heard. But they've all been to a grocery store, right? Mm -hmm. So when you sharing those stories, it's going to be funny. It's going to be entertaining because it's your past, but it's their reality. Right. And and again, also seeing seeing an everyday situation that everybody's in and seeing it from another lens. Right. So I I think all those things are are really kind of awesome. Wait a minute. Ding, 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 ding. (laughs) Okay, Ben gets a little applause. You're absolutely right. You have to share about your life and you find the funny. And Mm. whether you're retired or about to retire or uh, just think of comedy as a hobby, it's not that hard. It's scary. Mm -hmm. It's not easy. Yeah. But it's not that hard to get up on stage and give it a shot. And we mentioned there's a lot of clubs. The main comedy club, M-A-I-N-E, is Mm -hmm. got rooms all over the state that you can, as long as you contact them, set up the, contact the show producer and say, hey, I want to try an open mic. I've got three minutes of material. They'll set you up. That's how they find people. That's how they create comics. I mean, one of my greatest gifts to the entertainment world was my club was an A room. It was the step before stardom. And so I was able to discover a lot of comics and help them on that path to success I had a comic, Ed Solomon, who was a terrific writer, but not a great performer. Mm. Uh, guess what? He ended up writing uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Men in mm. Black, uh, Now You See Me series. He's a huge, successful, uh, multi-multi-millionaire, successful script writer for movies, but he started as a stand-up comic. Mm-hmm. Karen Anderson, who was a stand-up comic, very, very funny in her own right, ended up being the head writer for The Ellen DeGeneres Show. And has gone on to write several other shows. So it's not always ending up with the golden ticket being a celebrity. You could be uh, write movies. You could write TV shows. You could be a producer, a director. There's uh, so many things that comedy can lead to. But it all starts with that three-minute open mic set. 
Love it. Ta-da! And, yeah, there it is. And Scott, and I think exactly what you just said was, look, this is this is the time in our lives of having um, or have a reduced fear of failure. Right. Is that this is the time where I can go and experiment. I can go be the thing I always wanted to be. I can go try new things. And I think that's what we want to do in today's show is like that. Let's kind of lean into that theory and that thinking and try to push people into it. So I know that was and I know Curtis has one last got one question, question for you here. left. We've made it to I the just end. Wanna, wait, yeah, go ahead. Just validate what Ben said. Yeah. Is it at our age when you're in that pre or current retirement position you have nothing to lose so put yourself out there because even if you get booed off stage that's an experience you'll remember the rest of your life Mm -hmm. chances are that won't happen i have faith in you everybody listening you're going to find some funny and even if there's only one or two funny lines out of the three minutes you're going to feel so good when people laugh or respond to something you said Absolutely. Mm, love it. Absolutely. Um, so the last question here, obviously, um, we've talked about it a few times now. We are a, a retirement-focused podcast. We love to kind of help people find their successful retirement. So I want to ask you, uh, Scott, what or how would you define your personal retirement success? I know you mentioned you're semi-retired, but what does a successful retirement mean to you? Well, yeah, and I'm not a good example, everybody listening. I'm a serial entrepreneur. I sold my club, which was, by the way, an insurance agency, because that's full of laughs. Um, (laughs) I did that for over 15 years. I uh, sold it, and I I say semi-retired because I'm still a consultant for the guy that bought me out. I still have a connection with my clients, and so I still offer them services because they're my friends. They're my clients and have been for years. But unlike most people that retire and start traveling or just linger around the house, I started another company. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I've actually got four podcasts now. I just started a new company in connection with uh, the small city I live in. And I, that's what entrepreneurs do. They go out and find the next adventure. And it may crash and burn. It may be a huge success, but that's what I live and thrive on. Mm -hmm. For the average retirement person, if I could give any advice to anybody thinking of or now in retirement is do not sit on your ass and watch TV. You got to do something that's meaningful to you. That could be travel. You know, I lo- I would I have a plan to go to Africa next year. I mean, you want to travel when you get to this mm-hmm. point in your life and you can afford it and you have the time. But there's much, much more than that. I have another friend that went into silversmithing and just makes silver jewelry. Mm-hmm. And he was in the comedy world for 40 years yeah. and very, very successful. And now he does jewelry. I I have another person that's writing for other people. I have a couple people that went into public speaking. You know, your life was unique. Maybe if you went out and shared your story with other young people, you could teach them how you succeeded, right? Become a public speaker. And you don't have to do it for money. Do it at the local Rotary Club or the Lion Club and share your story. It's, It's really good and important as our a senior generation to take our life's experiences and share it with others. Now, it's true, 80, 90% may just ignore you or might just be entertained by you and that's it. But there might be five or 10% that pick up something and go, oh, crap, I could do that. Or maybe yeah, I exactly. should do that. Absolutely. You know, so that's my advice and hopefully a good answer to your question, that's Curtis, that's is that you should never stop moving. You got to keep your mind going. You got to keep your body going because the minute you stop doing stuff, that's when our minds and our bodies fail us. Mm. I love it. Great. And, and Scott, I think that's something that we see with our clients as well. And again, creating a purpose-filled life, whether it be your day one or, you know, or year 100, um, I think that's something we always have to have. So appreciate yeah, you it- coming on our show and sharing your insights and and, and my bad main a, jokes <laughs> giving us a few bad main jokes here or there <laughs> but but this is really great and i really appreciate it and scott we'll, we will catch you next time hey ben curtis this has been real uh way more in depth and way more helpful to people uh that that i realized it, it wasn't about me it wasn't about you we were sharing ideas and knowledge and i would love a copy of this you guys do a great job and it's a real honor to be on your podcast thank you gentlemen scott thank you so much
All right, so we definitely learned how to <laughs> unleash our inner comics to be our outward comics here sure in retirement, right? And and I, I think that what we what we kind of finished on with Scott is is the point, right? Is you know here's the time in our lives where we can take risks, we can yep. put ourselves out there. We've you know we we have a a wealth of stories and things that are funny in our lives. And I think we took a few minutes and wrote it down and created a a set list. I bet we could all be probably pretty funny and right. maybe maybe do okay and as you said maybe <laughs> eventually make a little extra money on the yeah. side is yeah is not a bad thing too so yeah i, I think and i think this is a it's a little bit of an offbeat topic for us you know mm-hmm. for what we normally do but kind of a kind of a little fun thing as well so i kind of like the become a pilot become a comic you know there's there's kind of these very niche things that are are kind of out there that some of our clients were interested in mm-hmm. i know we i would be remiss if we didn't um, kind of give uh, scott some plugs here for for a few things that he's involved in one is um, he actually has created a network of podcasts, of yeah. 15 different podcasts, where he has different shows from different comedians that have been in his clubs and audio clips and jokes of the day. Um, so you can check that out at standupcomedypodcastnetwork.com. Yeah. So again, yeah. standupcomedypodcastnetwork.com. You can check that out. Again, check out his podcast, right? Yeah. Um, so do a, go to your Apple podcast, Spotify, Stand Up Comedy, your host and MC um, with, with, uh, with Scott. So you can check him out there. Yeah. And also, if you do want to take the next level, this uh, springboard of our podcast – Go check out the books, right? It is the yep. 20 questions answered about being a stand-up comic, 10 answers you should know, and 10 answers you must know, or be a stand-up comic, or just look like one. Yeah. So you can kind of check out both of those books and, and that. So, yeah. Curtis, where can yeah. people find out a little bit more if they maybe yeah, have trouble I, writing it down? Yeah, exactly. Um, so, obviously, we always like to do a, a, a web page for our show here. So, obviously, this is episode 73. Um, so you can find all of the, the links to Scott's stuff, his books, his podcast network, his podcasts. Um, really, all of it will have linked in there. Um, so that's going to be at blog.guidancepointllc dot com backslash seven three for episode 73 Mm -hmm. so um you know as always we appreciate you all tuning in hopefully this was a lighter episode for you i know we we kind of go back and forth here on topics but i know it was really fun for us to do um so thank you thank you all as always for tuning in and we will catch you next time ladies and gentlemen you've just listened to an information filled episode of the retirement success in maine podcast While this show is about finding more ways to improve your retirement happiness, Guidance Point Advisor's mission is to help our clients create a fulfilling retirement. We do financial planning so that people can enjoy retirement and align their monetary resources to their goals. If you're wondering about your own personal success, we invite you to reach out to us to schedule a 45-minute listening session. Our advisors will have a conversation with you about your goals, your frustrations, and your problems. Make sure you check out Guidance Point Advisors on our blog, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And you can always check out more episodes of this podcast on iTunes and Spotify. And of course, keep on finding your retirement success.